0: Trinity Baptist Church, a community growing in faith, obedience, and joy. Good morning, everybody. Once, I was searching for my identity in all the wrong places, and I kept coming up empty. Through a series of divine appointments, I found myself in a 15-passenger van heading to Colorado for a Young Life camp. During that 23-hour ride, God softened my rebellious heart and prepared me for what was to come. Jesus found me at that camp. Everything that I had been searching for, I found in Jesus. I left that camp with a transformed heart, a transformed mind, and a desire to serve the Lord. Today, I am well aware of my brokenness, my sinful nature, but I know that that's not what defines me. I know that my true identity rests in Jesus Christ. My name is James Leonard. I'm loved by God, and I'm called to be a saint. The scripture reading for today is taken from Acts 8, 26 through 40, and the passage is found in your pew Bible, if you wanted to look and follow along, on page 2,135, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading from the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. When Philip ran to the chariot, he heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, and he said, do you understand what you are reading? How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. This is the passage of the scripture that the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, Please tell me, Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azostis and traveled about preaching the gospel in the towns until he reached Caesarea. The Word of the Lord. We are in the second week of a series, a six week series, entitled. What's your story? And this past week, Tim Tien, one of our elders, did a fantastic job of kicking off the series, and he had great content, terrific illustrations, and from what I understand, he even sang to us. Pretty impressive. That's a pretty high bar to to follow. Tim made the point in that first message that if we really believe, if we really believe in the transforming power of God's presence in a person's life, the single greatest gift that we can give someone, the best news that we could ever share is the good news of Jesus Christ. How they can be connected to a God who loves them unconditionally. Now, as Christians, we know that we are called to share the gospel But the truth is, most of us don't do it. Last week, Tim gave some sobering statistics. He said that only 2% of Christians share their faith. 2%. And after asking a number of Christians that I know about this, I found that there are three primary reasons why people don't share their faith. Three primary reasons. One, They're fearful that they might offend someone. They're fearful that they might offend someone. And number two, they're concerned that they might get rejected. And they don't want to face rejection. And number three, they don't feel equipped to share the gospel. They assume that there must be someone else out there better equipped. Someone like a Rabbi Zacharias. Somebody like a Tim Keller. Somebody that has been trained specifically to share the gospel. But if we look at Jesus and we look at his life, we know that he gave himself obsessively to people. And if we want to be like Jesus, we need to share in his obsession. Think about the word obsession for a moment. When we're obsessed by something, have you ever been obsessed by something? When we're obsessed by something, whatever it is, continually permeates our mind. It intrudes our being until so we have to do something about it, and nothing will prevent us from whatever it is. Now, I was, as I was thinking about my life in light of sharing the gospel and being obsessive about it, I had this flashback to when I was four years old in a Sunday school room, and I had just learned the lyrics. To a song called I'm Gonna Let It Shine. And I remember belting it out. I remember singing it with all of the fervor and zeal that I could muster because I knew Jesus, I loved Jesus, and I believed in the mission. Even at four years old, I was obsessive about this. And if you grew up in the United States and you attended Sunday school, there's a really good chance that you learned this song as well. Do you remember the lyrics? I'm not going to sing it, (laughs) but I'm going to remind you of the lyrics. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine. Let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm gonna let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm gonna let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. When we sang those lyrics, chances are we were into it. We were really singing it. And we've seen our kids in our community here at Trinity really sing this, really believe it, really get behind it. But something happens as we get older. Something happens. We become less obsessive about sharing our faith, and we become more self conscious. About our faith. More specifically, we become more self conscious about what other people think of us. We start saying things like, well, you know, faith is kind of a private matter, right? I know I became more concerned about fitting in than telling people about the life saving relationship that they could have with Jesus Christ. Somewhere along the line, I bought into the lie that what people thought of me was more important than connecting them with a God who could radically transform their lives in the here and now and for all eternity. And if statistics are true, if what Tim shared with us last week, I wasn't alone. It's time that we identify that lie, and we do something about it. We need to remember who we are in Christ. It's time, once again, to become obsessive about sharing our faith, about sharing our story, about what Christ has done in our lives. We need to share that story with people who are far from God. Now, Jesus doesn't want us to get caught up in the temporal things. He wants us to proactively invest in the things that will last forever. The eternal things. Now, you need to know that our enemy is a deceiver. He's a liar and a deceiver and a manipulator. And he knows that he doesn't need to get you and I to renounce our faith. That's a pretty high bar. All he needs to do is to get us focused on temporal things. If he can get us focused on temporal things, we're no threat to him. And we're not going to be doing the things that really matter to God. When we recognize that we are made for something greater and we proactively turn our attention from the temporal things to the eternal things, we position ourselves for divine appointments. Divine appointments. A divine appointment is when God steers us into a specific encounter where we serve or experience him in a supernatural way. A supernatural way. And often, divine appointments include sharing our story, the transformation that we have received as we've entered into relationship with God. The Bible is filled with examples of divine appointments, filled with them. And I don't think God included all of these examples because he wanted us to look and see and wonder what it was like to be close to God way back when, how God dealt with people in the Old Testament or 2,000 years ago. I think he included those examples because he wants us to know how he wants to deal with us and, and, and allow us to experience him in the here and now in the present. In the passage that I read earlier in Acts 8, we learned about a divine appointment that Philip had with an Ethiopian eunuch. In the story, Philip is just walking along, minding his own business, when the angel of the Lord appears to him and prompts him to change directions, to head south along the desert that led to Gaza And did you notice that when the angel of the Lord appeared to Philip, he didn't give him any specific directions other than where to go. He didn't tell him what he was going to encounter or how it was going to unfold or how he could prepare for it. He just said, go. He was expecting that Philip would would respond in obedience. And because Philip was in tune with the spirit and recognized that it was God who was speaking to him, he stopped what he was doing, changed directions, and he immediately headed south toward Gaza. And along the way, he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. And again, the spirit prompts Philip to go over to the chariot where the Ethiopian was sitting and reading from the book of Isaiah, and Philip's able to translate for him, and he's transformed. He's transformed. He understands the text for the first time in his life, and he's transformed. And we know he's transformed because the next thing that happens is they're cruising along in the chariot, and the Ethiopian says, hey, look, there's some water. What's to keep me from getting baptized? Philip says, can't imagine that there's anything. So they stop the chariot, they go into the water, the Ethiopian is baptized, and then the coolest part of the story, one of the coolest parts of the story, is Philip is teleported to another location. (laughs) He's teleported to another location. The scripture says the Ethiopian looked around and he was nowhere to be seen. Philip was nowhere to be seen. So the Ethiopian continues along his way rejoicing. And what did Philip do? He continues to proclaim the gospel on his way to Caesarea. Now, I don't know if Philip was married or not. But if he was, I can tell you that when he got home that night, when he walked in the door, the first thing that he said was, hey, honey, you're never going to believe what happened to me today. Yes, I was teleported, just like on Star Trek, (laughs) exactly like that, only it wasn't Scotty beaming me up, it was God. It was amazing, honey. And you know what I love about this story? Nowhere in scripture, in fact, nowhere, with all these examples of divine appointments, nowhere do we see that God cannot do that sort of thing today. Nothing has shortened the hand of God. In fact, scripture tells us the exact opposite. Jesus told the disciples that greater things would you see and do. Are we expecting greater things than this? When we come to faith in Jesus, when we come to faith and we receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that gives us access to a power source and authority that guides us and motivates us and directs us. And if we're open and in tune with the Spirit, He will give us a heightened awareness of what's going on in the Spirit realm around us. And he'll invite us to enter into that. But we need to pay attention. The first time I recall having a divine appointment was soon after I returned from that young life camp that I told you about in my testimony. I was sitting in the cafeteria at the college that I was attending and I was waiting to meet with Don Stuber. He was the regional director of Young Life and he had agreed to mentor me after he had heard what had happened to me at this camp. I was sitting there waiting for him to arrive and across the room, across the cafeteria, I saw this beautiful girl sitting down on the floor against the wall and immediately I felt the spirit prompt me to get up walk over to her and tell her that God loves her. And I thought, there's no way that I'm doing that. There, there is no way that I am, am going to do that. Because, first of all, I did not want anybody to think I was crazy. And secondly, I most certainly did not want an attractive girl to think that I was crazy. So I sat there for what seemed like eternity... And a few minutes later, uh, Don Stuber arrived, and I still had this nagging conviction. I kept looking over. The girl was still there. And so I told Don what had happened. And in his discernment, he said to me, James, is this something that happens to you on a regular basis? And I said, no, this has never happened to me before. And he said, well, I think you better go then. So I got up, and I sheepishly walked over to this girl, And I said, listen, I'm a Christian, and I believe that God wants me to tell you that he loves you. And she looked at me, and there was this long, awkward pause, and then she burst into tears and started sobbing uncontrollably, which made an awkward situation even more awkward. I'm standing over her, she's sobbing, and then she kind of gathers herself, and she looks up at me, and she says, you know, you're never going to believe this, but this morning, I have been, I have just, I've been so discouraged, I've been so down, I've been so depressed that this morning, I told God that if he was real, he needed to reveal himself to me in some way, and then you walked over here today, you walked over here. That next year I started a young life club at the high school that I had attended and I asked that girl if she would be on my team and she said yes. She joined my team. And then not lo- not long after that she met a very good friend of mine and they got married. I can't tell you how exciting it is to know that God used me in that moment. He used me to speak his love into this girl's life. It was a divine appointment that I almost missed. I almost missed it. And as I was thinking about all that occurred, my willingness to get up and walk over to her and speak to her has changed all of eternity. It's changed so much. My life was changed because I was responsive. Her life was changed. The lives of the kids that we ministered to in that Young Life uh, Club that we started, my friend's life that married her was changed. And the ripple effects continue to this day. You know, I had written this illustration down into my sermon about a week or two ago. And then I went on Facebook And I was just kind of looking to see what was happening in the lives of my friends. And you know what was there? Her son posted a a little ad about a mission trip that he was going to in Guatemala. It was the first mission trip that he was going to be participating in. He's a teenager now, and he was asking for support. And so I sponsored him. I know his life is going to be changed. And I know the lives of the people that he ministers to in Guatemala are going to be changed. And the ripple effect continues. It still amazes me that God chose to use an ordinary person like me. A broken individual with all kinds of sin. Brand new Christian. But that's the thing about God. You see, God always sees the potential in people. He's able to look past the brokenness And he sees the potential that most of us miss, the potential that we miss in others and the potential that we miss in ourselves. I'd like to read a section of Bill Hybel's book, just walk across the room, where he talks about the heart of Jesus. He says, better than anyone in history, in any field or discipline, Jesus capitalized on the possibility in people. The hidden potential inherent in all of us. Talented entrepreneurs in our society see hidden potential in product or service before anyone else does. And as a a result of pursuing their vision, cutting-edge companies emerge. Expert athletic coaches often spot hidden potential in high school football players or tennis players, and because of their applied foresight, college dynasties are built. But Jesus had a corner on the potential market. He had an uncanny ability to look past the obvious flaws in people's lives and envision who they could become in the power of God if it were released in their lives. Intrinsically, he just wondered how they might look in a transformed state. Wondered what impact they could have if their lives were invested in the things of eternal value as opposed to the temporal All things are possible was Jesus' mantra. All things are possible. All things. And countless lives were transformed because he chose to look past the surface stuff and see what was ultimately possible. God always sees your potential. There are times when you feel broken and worthless and that God couldn't possibly use you But he can look past that and he sees what's possible. He sees your potential. And he's always done that. If we look through the Bible, there are countless examples of this. You would see a pattern of God using ordinary people, often unlikely people, to do the most extraordinary things. Listen to this long list of examples taken from Scripture. Noah was drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Timothy was too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Naomi was a widow. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. Martha worried about everything. And Lazarus, Lazarus was dead. If you don't think that God can use you, you need to think again. (laughs) God can transform. He can heal. He can use anyone. We just need to make ourselves available. Years ago, I was lamenting to a, a Christian friend of mine about how my spiritual life had become dry. I just couldn't see God working in my life in and around me. And so he invited me to a morning Bible study that he had on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. And I thought, well, it couldn't hurt. You know, so I went to this Bible study, and it was a typical Bible study. We got together. We talked for a while. Uh, He played guitar, my friend Brian. And so he would play guitar. We'd sing some worship songs. Then we'd look at a chapter of the Bible, and we'd talk through it. All that was great. It was great. But I want to tell you what really impacted me during those two days of the week was this. Before we left his apartment, he would stop everyone and he would say, before you leave, I want to pray specifically that God would not allow any of you to miss any divine appointments today. That he would prepare your hearts and minds for the divine appointments that he has prepared for you today and throughout this week. And we would pray Nothing supernatural would happen that I could see, but we would leave that place, and I can't tell you how many times I would leave that place, go through my ordinary routine, and over and over again, I would engage in conversations that would lead to just absolutely divine appointments. Conversations would just move toward the spiritual, and people would be receptive and ask questions that I never would have imagined they would ask of me. And transformation was taking place. And one of the other things that I noticed in that season was that on the other days of the week, very little was happening in that arena. I'd get up, I would do my normal routine, and there would be, in all honesty, days where I would come home and I, I would think, I never even thought of God today. Never had one conversation about spiritual things. What was the difference? The only difference that I could see is that on those Tuesdays and Thursdays, I had prepared my heart and mind, I had prayed specifically that I wouldn't miss divine appointments, and I was open and looking for them. I've learned that most divine appointments, most divine appointments take place on the way from one place to another. Have you noticed that? on the way from one place to another, on the way from point A to point B. That tells me that we need to slow down a little bit. We need to create some margin in our lives so we can look out for what God is doing around us. Did you notice that when Jesus ever went somewhere, he never ran? I mean, never, never in Scripture do we see anything that says something along the lines of Jesus and his disciple ran to the Sea of Galilee where a multitude was waiting. We never see that. (laughs) Jesus always had margin in his life. He was never in a hurry. And look at how many times, as Jesus was going from point A to point B, supernatural things happened. People were healed. Lives were transformed. We're always in a hurry in New York, aren't we? I know I have missed divine appointments that were so blatant. I've even had people tap me on the shoulder and say, help me. And I've said, I'm sorry, I can't. I am on my way to a meeting. And and then as I took a few steps, I'm like, what meeting am I going to? You know, I'm going to some meeting at the church that has something to do about reaching people for Christ. (laughs) Is there a little irony in that? (laughs) We need to prepare our hearts and our minds for divine appointments. We need to create that margin in our lives. And as we do, as we pray for divine appointments, God will set them for us. He will arrange them for us. We just need to look out for them. Now, another thing that we can do is we can choose strategic environments where divine appointments can occur. Now, I mentioned that a lot of things happened as Jesus was going from point A to point B, but also a lot of things happened when he arrived. And so we need to think about the places where we're going, the places that we frequent as opportunities for divine appointments, okay? Jesus would attend weddings. He hung out in the synagogue. He went to people's homes for dinner, and things would happen in those places. There's a coffee shop in my neighborhood called Coffee Mob. It opened up a couple of years ago. The owner's name is Buck, and I have become very good friends with him. I made a conscious decision when that coffee shop opened that I was going to go there two times a week on Mondays and Fridays. I was going to sit in there for about an hour each of those days, and I would expect divine appointments to take place. That's why I went there. I love the coffee. I love Buck. I love the neighbors that I've met. But do you know that when I go there, with that intention stuff happens god opens doors and and many many people have talked to me about spiritual things in their lives including buck himself hundreds of conversations last year uh, buck's uh, mother-in-law became sick all at once she had stage 4 cancer and only a few weeks to live and then she died And because I had invested in Buck and talked with him many times about spiritual things, and I might be the only person that has ever talked with him about spiritual things, he called me, and he asked me if I would be willing to meet with his family and do the memorial service. And so I had the chance to talk with him and his family and his extended family about Jesus, about eternal life, about heaven, and then I did the memorial service. Since then, I've had the chance to talk with Buck a lot about some of the things that we do in Rwanda. I know that he loves coffee and he loves coffee roasting and he's trying to get into it. And so I told him about, you know, the coffee plantations that I'd seen in Rwanda and the, and the washing stations that I had seen, and that really piqued his interest. And then I started telling him about, you know, the, the 1,200 sponsored children that we go and we visit and we build homes for their families. We've put in wells. Um... We, we go to church services. We teach pastors how to run the alpha course. And as I was sharing all this stuff, Buck said, I want to do that. And because I know he's not a Christian, I said, what part do you want to do, Buck? And he said, all of it. I want to do all of it. Now, I know that Buck's not a Christian, but I know the Lord is working in his life. I know he's receptive, and I know that those divine appointments are paying off. And you know, when I'm having conversations with Buck, usually there's four or five other people listening in. And then I, I gravitate to another conversation and then to another conversation. Last week, I sat there for a whole hour and nothing happened. And I thought, well, that's weird. You know, usually, <laughs> usually I have a divine appointment. And then I walked out the door walking down the street and I ran into an elderly lady in my neighborhood by the name of Joy who I had met at the coffee shop a few weeks earlier and she told me that her nephew who has been living with her who is schizophrenic has been having a lot of trouble pacing walking around at night getting agitated and so she had to call 911 and he, he's now at a hospital and she's really worried about him and I had the chance to pray with her right there on the corner so I was like oh well there's the divine appointment Amazing. Have you identified a place like that in your routine? Is there a place where you go on a regular basis, where you could meet with people for the purpose of hearing their stories and speaking truth into their lives? I mean, eternal truth. Chances are you don't have to change your routine much. There's probably a coffee shop or a gym or an art gallery or a restaurant that you frequent pretty regularly. You may not even know the people's names there, but you've seen them over and over again. You could claim that place as the place where God is going to set up divine appointments for you. And when you go there, it'll change your perspective. The cool thing about all this is you can be yourself. You don't have to be a theologian. You're not really preaching to people. You're just sharing your story. And God has equipped you with a very natural style. A natural style. And if you were to look through the Bible, you would see that God has given many examples of characters with various styles for speaking truth into people's lives, for accomplishing his purposes. Peter, for instance, had a very confrontational style. Paul had an intellectual style. Jesus could use any approach because he was Jesus. (laughs) But he was best known for his interpersonal style. He had a way of just kind of entering into people's conversations. Sometimes he'd use parables and pretty soon he's just having a great conversation and then he just hammers them. (laughs) The woman at the well had an invitational style. And if we look at modern examples, you could say that Mother Teresa had a serving style. She didn't say much, but she impacted people through her service. The author Lee Strobel, who tells the story of his dramatic transformation from antagonist atheist to devoted follower of Christ, has what I would call a testimonial style. He just shares what happened to him. Now, if you think about each of these styles and you compare them to how God has designed you, how he's created you, chances are you might gravitate toward one of those styles. I'd keep that style in mind as you engage people. And just be yourself. The Holy Spirit will give you the right words at the right time, and you will be amazed at how receptive people are. New York is filled with people. There's people all around us every day, and we've been trained not to talk to anybody. We've been told, don't make eye contact and don't engage them. But do you know that a place like New York can be one of the most lonely places in the world? Every time I engage somebody, they might be a little surprised at first, but they almost instantly enter in. It's really amazing. As you go about your daily routine, I challenge you to sideline your agenda and become more intentional about discovering other people's stories even if it's uncomfortable for you at first. You might be the single flame in a person's dark night. You might be the person that helps them to experience the love of Christ for the first time or in the midst of a crisis. Take a moment to think about your sphere of influence. Why do you suppose God placed you in the job that you currently have? the building where you currently live, the neighborhood where you hang out. Have you identified a place where you could hang out on a regular basis with the intention of sharing God's love? If so, take out your bulletin and write down the place. Write down the names of the people that God is putting on your heart. If you don't know their names, just picture them. And, and decide that over the next weeks, you're going to learn their names. Do you know your style? Have you thought about it before? Is it confrontational? Is it intellectual? Invitational? Is it serving? Testimonial? Remember who you are. How did God design you? He designed you with a purpose, and there's no coincidence that He's surrounded you with the people that He has. Finally, turn to the person next to you, if you would, and tell them that you will pray for them during this next week that they would not miss any divine appointments. Tell them. Tell them that you will pray for them. You may not even know this person. The the reason why I encourage you to do that The reason why I encourage you to do that is because part of the reason why we are here on Sunday morning, it's not just to hear more scripture, to engage in worship, to feel great about being a Christian, and we do, those things are all wonderful, but it's to spur one another on, to equip one another, to encourage one another, to make sure that we're doing what we've been called to do, to, to become disciples who make Disciples. I know I miss divine appointments all the time because I'm not looking for them. I don't want you to do that. I want you to look for them. Prepare your heart, prepare your mind. There's too much at stake. And by the way, it's so much fun. You know, when you get to do this stuff, it's really fun. And I'm excited about the divine appointments that God has in store for each of you. Each of you. There's not a person in here that God hasn't already thought through exactly what, could enc- what you could encounter if you're open to it. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for using us. Thank you for being a God who, who is able to look past the brokenness in each of our lives Thank you for seeing the potential, Lord, and for loving us and loving others so much, Lord, that you would allow us to engage in kingdom-building opportunities, that you've gone before us and opened doors and you're preparing divine appointments for us even as we sit here and think about this now. I do pray, Lord, that we wouldn't miss any in this coming week or even today. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.